Welcome to Business Radio X and to our program, Justice at Work, where we empower employees through education and information about workplace and other rights. This is Kathy Harrington-Solomon, one of the partners with Barrett and Farahani, and on today's show, I'm going to be talking with Eric Santos. Eric is the founder and executive director of the North Georgia Low Income Taxpayer Clinic in Lawrenceville. This clinic provides free legal advice and representation to low-income individuals and families who need help with tax problems. Eric is a graduate of Columbia Law School and began his career as a federal tax attorney at Evershed Sutherland in Atlanta before founding the clinic in 2019. So welcome, Eric. I think a good opening question for us, just so our listeners kind of understand what it is you help with, with regard to taxes, is tell us the kinds of tax problems that you see and tackle in in your clinic. Sure, absolutely. We work on a whole range of different tax issues, so but our focus is tax controversy. So there are kind of two places where people typically interact with the tax system. First is when you file your return every year, and that's hopefully the only time that you interact with the tax system. And yeah. we mostly don't work on, on that stuff. So we're not preparing current year returns most of the time. Where we do come in is the other time when people interact with the tax system, which is when they get one of those scary, threatening letters from the Internal Revenue Service. It's a really intimidating kind of process navigating the IRS. A whole different range of tax issues that come up when the IRS proposes adjustments to people's returns. We also help people. So when the IRS has issues with people's returns, when we, for our clients, our clients are all low income. So there's a couple of issues that come up a lot. Um, a lot of dependent child kind of issues, um, both for purposes of the child tax credits for dependency exemptions and for um, the earned income credit is a big one. There are a lot of just kind of income verification issues. We work with a lot of small business owners who you know have Schedule C deduction issues. And then a lot of folks who just have amounts in collections. So people who either filed their tax returns and there was something, they received a 1099 or something that they didn't expect and weren't able to pay the amount that they had to pay, something like that. So people who owe money to the IRS, we help that. Um, with that and resolve those amounts also. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're a great resource for people. Um, And I'm guessing that one of your first pieces of advice to folks is when you get that envelope from the IRS, don't ignore it. (laughs) It's probably better to Um, open it, see what it is and call you guys. Yeah, definitely reach out, try to get help. The sooner, the better, really, because those notices almost always, or a lot of those notices will come with with a due date for a response. And if you don't respond, then you lose some of your rights to to, you know, meaningfully contest and defend yourself. So get advice as soon as you can. Okay. I know one of the things that we really wanted to focus on today with the upcoming election and, you know, this hotly contested election, I should say, mm-hmm. and the two different platforms for the two different candidates of, you know, what they're proposing with regard to taxes. So kind of give us an overview about the big picture differences between each candidate's approach to taxes, if you can do that for us. Yeah, this has been a really interesting election cycle and certainly an interesting past four years in the tax world. The backdrop for everything that's happening right now is the 2017 tax bill, which for weird Senate rule reasons is not officially called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but that's what most people call it, which is probably the most significant change to the tax system in 30 years or something like that, you know, something in that ballpark. So the Trump administration has done done a lot on taxes already, and there is a really stark and really significant kind of philosophical divide between what the two candidates are saying about taxes. So both of them are saying that, you know, tax policy is this important issue, this important way for us to tackle, you know, bad things that are happening in our country right now. We have economic crisis that's happening because of the the COVID-19 pandemic. People are really struggling out there. And both candidates are saying their tax plans are going to be the thing to 
you know, one of the centerpiece approaches to fixing this, but they take almost completely opposite ways of, of getting there. To kind of sum up the, the Vice President Biden's plan involves basically kind of two elements. One is to raise taxes very significantly on large corporations and high income individuals, which generally means the cutoff for most of his changes is for earnings above $400,000 per year for individuals. And he also has a bunch of different little provisions to give relief to specific groups of people who would fall generally into kind of the middle and lower income tiers of the country. So that's kind of the Biden approach. The Trump campaign has not been quite as specific about their tax proposals, or should it, I should say, they don't really have any kind of specific proposals. But the president has said a lot in public about what he wants to do about taxes. And of course, the Republican Congress and the president enacted this very significant tax legislation. So we can kind of generally guess what they would probably do if, if the president was given a second term. Unlike the Biden approach, the 2017 tax bill and most of the, the policies that the president has discussed would be ones that give a lot of wealth, especially to, to businesses, especially very large businesses, and especially to investors and in generally upper income folks. There have been you know a range of analyses of the impacts of the 2017 bill. Almost all of them conclude the same thing, which is that the majority of the benefits flowed to the very richest people in, in large corporations. The most significant kind of raw dollar for dollar piece of that bill is probably the, the cut in the corporate tax rate before 2017. It was 35%. He slashed it all the way down to 21%. So there has been a, a lot of money flowing into large corporations, which again is the, the exact opposite approach that the Biden uh, camp is taking. So I, I hear both sides talking about, you know, large corp, higher, high income uh, folks. But what about middle and lower income? I know you said that Biden may have some provisions for relief to specific groups of people in middle to lower income. But has Trump come out with anything talking about any tax relief for people in those brackets? And and or has Biden proposed specific relief for, I think you said specific groups. So I kind of want to hear more about that. So the president has alluded to a range of different policy changes that would affect you know, small, like even small businesses and, and lower income people, certainly. So one of the things about the 2017 bill is that, again, because of weird Senate rules, most of those provisions from that 2017 bill are set to expire in 2025. They're actually, you know, they, they, they had a sunset built into them in order to comport with the, reconcil- the reconciliation process that they used in the Senate to pass that bill. So currently, all of those provisions are set to expire. It seems likely that the president would likely at least attempt to have most of those extended. And he said that he would have you know, we'll run and extend all of those different provisions. So the big one for businesses um, is what's called the qualified business income deduction. This is a 20% deduction for businesses, uh, for business income rather, that, that's reported on an individual return. So this is an individual return, form 1040 deduction, but it's for specifically business income. The actual structure of the deduction is enormously complicated, but broadly, this is for income from mostly for most people who, who take advantage of this deduction. It's for sole proprietorships or pass-through entities like partnerships, LLCs, or an S-corporation. The 20% deduction is obviously quite large um, and has a really big, significant impact for, for a lot of people. The president is probably going to extend that. Vice President Biden, it's a little bit unclear. The only provision he has addressing it is that he has proposed to eliminate the deduction immediately for individuals who are making more than $400,000 per year, but hasn't committed to extending it yet. Um, so that's obviously a big deal. If that were to expire, that would be a really significant change for a lot of, especially small businesses and small business owners. Beyond that, the president has 
alluded to or suggested, pointed, maybe pointed at different policies that would certainly affect small businesses. He's talked about his desire to um, reduce or eliminate the payroll tax. So those are the taxes that pay for Social Security and Medicare. Generally, those taxes are split half and half between an employer and an employee or for a business owner. Um, you pay the full amount self-employment tax. Eliminating payroll taxes would be a huge, significant change for, for folks. So obviously that you know is what currently funds Social Security. So then you'd have a you'd have kind of a, a follow-up. I was gonna add, that was my next question. What are gonna be the effects of doing that if they eliminate the payroll tax? Right. So the the, the, the there's kind of two separate payroll taxes. Like when you get when you get your paycheck um, every month, usually there's a, a line item on there that says there's money taken out for Social Security and, and other money taken out for Medicare. That's currently where all the funding for Social Security and Medicare come from. Um, and so how you structure a payroll tax decrease or a payroll or eliminating the payroll tax would matter quite a lot. Other presidents, including President Trump, have done payroll tax holidays. In the past, the Obama administration did a, a payroll tax holiday, and in that they allowed Treasury general funds to, to kind of make up for the shortfall. So you keep Social Security funded at the same level. They could do that, but then, of course, you have the the issue of, well, then you're greatly decreasing the amount of revenue, you're allocating a bunch of general funds, so you're going to explode the deficit if you do that, depending on what you feel about deficit spending. You know, you might or might not be alarmed about that. But the other option is that you just don't make up the, the funding and then Social Security runs out. Just goes away. Right. You know, the, the trust fund will have no money and um, functionally the, the system will be bankrupt and won't be able to make payments out to people. So that's a that's a concern, and he hasn't re- the president hasn't released any specific details. So it's not guaranteed that that would that that would happen if they were to you know write a full bill around it. But you know it's definitely a concern, definitely something that any bill would need to address. Certainly. We had a, a payroll tax holiday like that, I think, in response to some of this COVID business, and then there was the question arose, and I believe you wrote an article for us about mm-hmm. this. The question arose as to whether or not that was going to have to be made up, right? Right. So currently, so the the payroll tax holiday was was um, done by executive order, and the president can't unilaterally just decline to, dec- to to collect taxes that Congress has has authorized. So right now, the way that the payroll tax holiday works is that for the fourth quarter of this year, so currently right now, employers don't need to be withholding and paying payroll taxes. But right now, currently, based on IRS guidance that's been released employees who don't pay payroll taxes for this quarter would basically need to make them up in the first quarter next is basically you'd pay no payroll taxes now, but then pay double payroll taxes in the first quarter of 2020. Yeah, that doesn't sound like much of a break to me because right. it's not, it sounds it's good not on the much front end. Right. It's like, oh, I don't of have course, to pay right. the tax, but then comes due and you're like, oh, where's the money? Right. So the president has explicitly promised to try to make that permanent. So you would need an act of Congress to do it. I'm not sure what the consequence would be. I also, my understanding is that there isn't, hasn't been a lot of uptake on the holidays. So not a lot of folks are just declining. I mean, most businesses, my understanding is that they're still collecting and remitting payroll tax anyway. Um, So I'm not sure, you know, most folks are going to be in that situation, but if you have had your payroll taxes reduced or you haven't been paying them for the last um, couple of months, you do need to be careful at the beginning of next year. Yeah, I know that was something we analyzed and felt like it might not be as good a deal mm-hmm. as it looked like on the face unless they do, you know, this deal where it's right. completely forgiven. I know, you know, one of the things we discussed was small business owners and small businesses. Can you talk a little bit more about how the different tax plans might affect small businesses? Because obviously that trickles down to small business employees as well. Right, of course. Right. So um, especially in the context of the the 2017 2017- tax bill, I think both 
candidates have proposed changes to the corporate tax rate. So that's an obviously significant one for businesses that are structured as corporations. The vice president has proposed to re-increase or restore some of the corporate tax rate. So it's currently at 21%. He's proposed to kick it up to 28%. Um, the president has proposed to drop it down further, another percentage point down to a flat 20%. So they're both kind of going in opposite directions. There is a lot of debate among economists about what the what the impact of changing the corporate tax rate actually does, who actually ends up bearing the economic cost of corporate taxes or who benefits from the relief from corporate taxes. Like, so when a corporation loses money, you know, there's a couple of different places that that can come out of. They could just cut down on profits, which means it ultimately falls on the shareholders. You know, shareholders just get less, less profits. The share price goes up less. You know, they're the ones who bear the cost. The other possibility is that they take it away from expenses, in particular payroll. So the idea is that increase in corporate taxes just decreases wages. And a lot of folks in a lot of modeling organizations that do economic modeling treat it as a combination of the two. So you could think that the corporate tax cut is functionally a, a way to increase wages for workers and a corporate tax increase, you know, would increase or de- rather decrease wages. Or you might think it might, those effects might fall primarily on shareholders, which tend to be less the, the kind of little guy and more tend to be more rich folks. So it really depends on kind of how you, how you view this kind of esoteric economic debate. But for the businesses themselves, obviously, like small businesses that are structured as corporations are obviously going to benefit from a lower corporate tax rate. And in the short term, you know, have to pay more under a, a higher corporate tax rate. So that is a policy change. And especially the 2017 Act, because the corporate tax rate in America used to be really high and now it's much lower, it makes a lot more sense for smaller, smaller businesses to structure themselves as corporations because you bear less of, a, of an excess tax burden. Let me jump in and just ask a question because I want to be sure I'm clear on this. Is it is it your thinking or is that the idea you were pushing for that lower corporate taxes could mean more wages for workers, higher wages for workers? I'm not sure I have the quality. That's a complicated <laughs> economic question. Like, for example, the Tax Policy Center, which is at, at the Brookings Institution, which is one of the main organizations, I guess, that scores the impact of tax policy mm-hmm. at, or their model generally assumes that when you change the corporate tax rate. Um, so you increase corporate taxes or decrease corporate taxes, approximately 80% of that impact will be on shareholders and about 20%, 20% will be on wages. That's just one model. You know, getting the exact number is impossible. And it's a so hot. no real consensus is what you're right. saying. Right. There's, there's not a lot of consensus to the, when people score tax policy, they generally tend to assume that the majority is shareholders and that there's a small, somewhat smaller impact on wages. But there are, you know, certainly folks in you know, on both extremes, you say, you know, it's almost all shareholders, or it's almost all, all comes back to wages. So it's really hard to say specifically which one, which is right, without a whole lot more expertise than I have in that area. Have we covered all the fine points uh, uh, with respect to how it might affect small business for for both the tax proposals for mm-hmm. each side? Yeah, I think we haven't we haven't really talked about the vice president's proposals. Like you said, the proposals that uh, Vice President Biden has forwarded are mostly targeted at specific groups. So obviously, you know, small business owners are, are people too, probably the most significant, I guess he has two big, I would say, really significant changes that he's proposed. The first one is a change to the child tax credit. So the child tax credit is credit that people under a certain income limit can, can take for their kids. Currently, it's set at $2,000 per year per child. The Biden tax plan increases to $3,000 per child, and you get an extra $600 on top of that for kids who are under six years old. Um, this credit is really significant, especially for lower income folks. I was thinking, yeah, that's a dollar yeah. for dollar credit. Um, right. It's folks aren't right. familiar with that. Exactly right. And it is and it is refundable. So even if you have, 
you know, if you don't have as much money as you would be eligible for under the trial tax credit, you can get some of that back in, in your refund. So it can actually put money directly in your pocket. So that is a really significant change. But the other kind of significant change that the Biden campaign has proposed is a little bit technical. It's actually an estate tax change, which is the elimination of what's called stepped up basis for assets that are passed through estates. Mm-hmm. Generally what happens. So like when you sell an asset, um, it could be stocks or it could be like, you know, a, a piece of machinery or something like that. You don't pay tax on the whole amount of money that you make from the sale, right? So if you sell something right. $10,000, right, you don't pay tax on all $10,000. You t- pay tax on the difference between the amount of money that you got for the thing minus in general, the amount of money that you paid for the thing, though there's a bunch of different adjustments to what the, the IRS considers how much you paid for the, that, that amount at the end of the day, plus all the adjustments, it's called your basis in the asset. So it's the difference between the, the sale price and the, the basis. When a person dies and passes on assets to their beneficiaries, kids, what usually happens to assets that you own is that the IRS kind of wipes the slate clean, right? So they take, they ignore whatever basis that the, the person who died had in the asset, and they adjust the basis so that it equals the value of the thing that's passed on mm-hmm. at the time that it's passed on. Often that can be a very, very, very large difference. And the amount that they step the basis up is, is never taxed directly for like, it's never subject to income tax. So that's a huge planning windfall for people that that's pretty rare in the, in the internal revenue code. This is really significant for business owners who want to pass on their business. Like if they have a sole proprietorship or, you know, like a closely held business, and they want to pass those at the assets of the business on, even if the person is not very high income, there can be a lot of assets held by their business. Um, and when you pass on, like if they own land or something like that in particular, and when you pass that on, generally speaking, it's a big, it's a big tax benefit for your kids. And it also makes it really easy to sell those things for your kids because um, with a stepped up basis, it means you're probably not, if you sell them right away, like if you don't want to continue on the business, so you're just selling off the business's assets, it's unlikely you're going to get hit with a big tax bill because the the assets are unlikely to appreciate in a short amount of time. So if you eliminate stepped up basis and there's really low basis in the assets and you're selling them, the beneficiaries, if they're going to sell the business right away, are going to be subject to a lot of tax. It makes passing on businesses a lot harder. There aren't a lot of specific details about how the the elimination of stepped up basis would work specifically. Are you going to get hit with tax right away when the assets are passed on or is it only when the, the beneficiaries ultimately sell them that the tax kicks in? But definitely this is a thing that would, you know, especially for like intergenerational businesses would have a, would have a really, truly enormous impact. It sounds like this is also, though, aimed at people who probably have either a large number of assets or are in right. a higher income bracket. So far, right. the thing that's captured my attention is the child tax credit. Now, do you think that Trump has anything planned along those same lines that would put cash in the pockets of middle and low income workers? Again, the president has been somewhat vague about his his plans. I will say in the 2017 bill did include an expansion of the child tax credit. So it's not like it's unheard of for for Republicans to do to do that. But the only kind of credits that he's alluded to so far are extremely vague. So he released a bullet pointed list of tax priorities. One of the tax priorities was something called a made in America credit. Ostensibly, that would be a credit for some amount of direct business investment or direct production activities in the United States. But other than the name, we don't have any details about, about what that means. He's also said he'll um, provide credits for businesses that bring employees back from overseas. Again, what that credit would look like, how it would be structured. So, you know, domestic employment credits, again, a difficult, it's difficult to like, kind of analyze, you know, who would benefit from them, 
how those credits would be structured, et cetera, without, without a lot more detail. Yeah, it sounds like that he would possibly consider forgiving the payroll tax and, you know, as compared to Biden's child tax credit. So maybe. Right. So, yeah, a payroll tax forgiveness would directly ease the, ease the tax burden on, on individuals, including low income individuals, especially the, the payroll tax credit does phase out over after a certain level of income. So people who bear most of it as a percentage are, are kind of all by definition, middle income or lower. So that definitely would be, and the, the advantage, I think, of, a pro, of an approach like that, if there is one, is that it is more broad-based, right? It would, this, that would be a benefit for every, you know, employee or person who pays payroll taxes, which is essentially every working person, whereas the child tax credit is exclusively for, you know, families with kids, which leaves out a whole bunch of different folks. Okay, yeah, that's a good side-by-side sort of analysis of, of the two mm-hmm. things that actually put money in the pockets of, of middle and low-income folks. What do you think some of the concerns are with either either or both of the Biden and Trump tax plans? Yeah, I think there are, like I said, these two plans represent very, very almost diametrically opposed philosophies about how tax policy affects the economy, affects people. You know, so if you believe that, you know, that high earners in, in, in large businesses are the drivers of the economy and that prosperity among those folks are put in more resources in the hands of those folks is likely to benefit everyone kind of grow the pie in that way, then you really wouldn't like Vice President Biden's tax plan. If you think that you're taking money away from from the richest people and the largest corporations is going to crowd out investment and, and constrain growth, then this is not a good plan for you. And the president's at least historic approach to taxes is, is kind of much, much more up your alley. Conversely, if you think that businesses are getting away with you know, avoiding taxes. Um, there have been big news stories about companies that pay, you know, relatively low effective tax rates. If you don't think that they're paying enough and you think that, you know, we should be gathering more money from these folks to fund government programs, then of course the Trump's the Trump administration's approach and in, in essentially the the plan for a second term for President Trump would definitely not comport with what you think um, or how you think the tax system should work. I would say if there's one significant almost like procedural difference here, it's uh-huh. that there is a lot, like the Biden campaign has released a lot of detail about what they plan to do. Like we know exactly what they are at least going to be pushing for. Mm-hmm. On the Trump campaign side, the best we have is, is kind of guesswork, which makes it a little bit harder to evaluate. And I mean, for tax policy, the devil is in the details, you know, structured in a way that is you know, great for one group or, you know, just a few little tweaks can, you know, take all of the benefit away from the people you might try to be targeting and you give it to someone else. So it's hard to say without, without more detail exactly what, you know, a, a second Trump term would look like on the tax side. So we do have a lot more clarity, certainly from from the Biden camp in this regard. But I think because the two are so so opposed, again, philosophically, because they're taking such kind of radically different approaches to how they they believe the economy is going to be, you know, jump started. I think, you know, that that really is the kind of main choice that that voters are faced with at this point is, you know, do you think that the richest people and the largest corporations need more resources or do we think we the government should have hand in, in taking their resources away to redistribute to the rest of the rest of us um, more directly? So I, I, you know, I think that's the kind of big philosophical divide that we're looking at. This 2017 tax bill, I want to go back to that for just a minute. Have there been any? I mean, obviously, there's there's probably been a ton of economic analysis on the impact that that tax bill has had. If we think that's what he would do going forward if he's reelected. What have been some of the outcomes of the 2017 tax bill changes? 
Yeah, so there have been a fair number of economic analyses from, and of course, as with all of these things, it's really, really hard to break out, you know, my caveat, my, you know, covering myself a little bit here, um, is to say that, of course, different people disagree about the specific impacts. I think it is almost unanimously agreed on that the richest Americans got much richer from this tax bill. There is a debate about whether this had little or no impact on overall growth versus whether there is a like moderate positive growth impact. There are certainly um, studies that have included that you know the tax bill overall was basically a nullity and it just redistributed in resources upwards. There's other that thought that in the aggregate, there was still an upward distribution of resources, the rich got richer, but that it, growth in general, you know, that that was a, that ended up with an overall positive growth relative to what we would have had otherwise. Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has thrown yeah. us into kind of regardless of what else had happened in the economy. Right. But, so analyzing- Well, if we take away the COVID-19, if we, ta- if we look at right. how things were stacking up before that hit, did, it, did the 2017 tax bill do anything at all for, you know, the average worker? Did, did it affect wages positively or negatively, or did it affect jobs positively or negatively? Is there any thinking on that? I know I'm putting you on the spot. No, yeah. So from what I've seen, most analyses say that the aggregate effects for anyone but the very richest people were either moderate or nothing. Interesting. Yeah, I always tend to look back and think, you know, if I've got to try to do projections, what am I looking at historically? And if I'm looking at the same thing, then, you know, is that what I can expect in the future? So this has been very interesting. I mean, I've certainly learned a lot about kind of what both sides are saying and what the thinking is about how each of their plans is going to play out. Is there anything else that we should talk about that we haven't thought about or I haven't asked about so far? I think we've done a pretty good job covering bases. I mean, I think it's important. I mean, I think the one thing I was, you know, when I tell people I work in, you know, in tax, they, uh, people's eyes tend to glaze over a little bit and check out of the conversation. Maybe be like, okay, this guy's going to go on for the next five minutes. I'll check back in when he's done. But I want to emphasize that tax policy is really important. You know, this is one of the, those, those pieces where this is going to have a huge impact on people's actual lives. You know, how much taxes people pay every day and the ways that, tax policy impacts the the economy and society that we live in are are enormous. And they are esoteric and boring, and I understand that. But to be an informed voter, to make choices about the way that you want this country to be to be run, I think this is really important stuff. And so, you know, I, I agree to look more into, you know, what each of the candidates are saying and what each of the campaigns are saying about, about taxes and tax policies, and then to, you know, obviously encourage everyone to go vote too. Yeah, that and I think also having resources like you who can help break it down for people who are not in the tax business or who don't know tax law and who may not know the implications of what each side is proposing. I think it's very important. So I certainly appreciate you taking the time to come on and help explain that to our listeners. And like I said, I've also learned a lot. And if people need help with the things that you've enumerated that your clinic helps with, we will post information. And if you want to give them a number to call now, then we can certainly, where should they call and who should they ask for? You can call our office. You can ask for, for me. So our number is 678-646-5661. You can ask for me, Eric Santos, and I'd be happy to, uh, happy to speak with you about what's going on, see how we can help. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you again for joining us. And Thank you so much uh, for having me on. 
Absolutely. And thanks everybody for listening in. We hope this information has been helpful. You've got Eric's number. If you need tax help, if you need help with an employment matter, you certainly know where we are, justiceatwork.com. And you can schedule a free consultation with one of our attorneys on our website by just visiting the website and scheduling that yourself. Or you can call us at 404-487-0903. 